0: Hey everybody, welcome to Draco's Den. This is episode four. Here I am again, and this week I settled on a topic finally after I took a few different suggestions. This week I'm going to speak on my recent adventures as a foster parent. Um, This was a suggestion from a couple different people based on... um, A court date that I went to this past Tuesday. So when I released the last show after that, I went to a court hearing for my current foster child. And um, the frustration that I had to express when I left that court hearing led to several people that I know suggesting maybe I should do a show on my dealings as a foster parent and you know, what I've gone through, the ups, the downs, and all that uh, since I started this process a few years ago. So that's what we're going to do this show about. And I know I said this week's show, but I technically have already done a show this week, so let's just say this episode. Okay, so let's get some of the basic information out of the way. I've been um, in the process, at least, uh, of being a foster parent for um, actually I started this about five, five and a half years ago. Um, at the time that I originally started, because most people want to know what's my motivation, what made me go down this road? At the time that I originally started this process, I was in a, what was supposed to be a serious relationship and we had decided together that we would pursue the fostering and adoption um, idea as if we were going to, you know, continue making go of this. I had a goal of, you know, having a family started by the time I was 30 um, and 30 was coming up. So we made the choice to start the process together Um at the time, you know, certain things got in the way. The thing with with being a foster parent in Missouri is you don't just call up and say, "Okay, I want to be a foster parent." You, uh, you know, get in touch with a agency, whether it be the uh, Missouri Children's Division or one of the contract agencies, and then you have to, uh, you know, you meet with a worker. You have to take classes in order to get license to both foster and adopt. And there are two different classes. There was um, the fostering class was like nine weeks. And then the adoption class was an additional four weeks. Um, and if you want to adopt, you have to take both classes. If you just want to foster and eventually maybe adopt down the road, you just have to take the fostering class. But the thing at the time was they told us that Missouri wanted the foster and adoptive parents to decide solemnly, were you specifically looking to adopt children or were you just wanting to foster? They didn't want you to do the fostering and then adopt thing anymore, even though they never stopped the process of if a child is with a foster family and they come up for adoption because the, you know, birth parents' rights are terminated, they still ask the foster parents first if they want to adopt before they pursue an outside adoption. At the time, we chose to go for adoption, but because I was with this individual and without going into it too too much, it was a toxic relationship and it really wasn't meant to last. So, when we split, I continued the process on my own. And, you know, during the time that we had been together, we had tried twice to go through this process. And um, the first time, it wasn't either of our fault. It was the fact that our job schedules changed and we had to stop classes. The second time, he kind of chose a trip back home to North Carolina over continuing our class, and even though they told us if, you know, you miss two classes then you have to start over again so you know once we split up I went and did the classes on my own I did the whole uh, nine weeks or whatever of classes to foster did the additional actually only did two weeks for the adoption because I just did two all-day sessions and that covered the amount of hours that we needed or whatever so originally I started off in this with solely the desire to a- adopt a child or adopt a group of siblings Um, And for the first year of being licensed, I got nothing. Um, I would, you know, look for, you know, children read profiles, kind of make a decision to attempt for them. Um, I would get profiles sent to me, and some of them I would say, yes, you know, let's give this a try. Some of them I would say, absolutely not, I can't handle this, which you know, to be fair, that's kind of something everybody, you know, has to decide when they're going through the licensing process. Because after you take the classes, you get the background check and do the drug screening and employment verifications and personal references, professional references. It's it's a very detailed process. Um, But during this, your, your licensing worker, you know, has you go through a list of different things that you have to say yes or no to whether or not you're willing to deal with. And it ranges from everything, you know, from race, uh, the age range, to, you know, conditions that the kids commonly have. You know, obviously ADHD, ADD are kind of common in the foster system. Whether the diagnosis is accurate or not is very common for you to have a kid that has that diagnosis. Um, In, you know, recent years, uh, autism from in various degrees. Um, then, of course, they ask, you know, some other behaviors like do you have a problem with kids that, you know, might w- still wet the bed and they're well above bedwetting age? Or do you have a problem with kids that are known to steal? Do you have a problem with kids that are known to set fires? The, the last two, yes, I have a severe problem with. So they're kind of on the list of things that I'm not willing to put up with or less willing to put up with, I should say. But you go through this list and you decide, you know, and it's a very long list and it's things that you never think about. Um, you know, if you're willing to take teenagers, you know, they ask, are you comfortable with taking in a teenager that you know is sexually active? Heads up, I've had two teenagers while doing this and both of them were sexually active. It was what it was. You just have to, you know, set your boundaries or whatever. But you go through all this, you decide what you're willing to do or whatever and then you start getting profiles. You know, you can start looking at the, the sites for adoption and requesting information on the children you see, or you know, the profiles that get sent to you by your licensed worker because it matches what you're willing to take in or take on. Um, and I had several profiles sent to me. I had you know, children by themselves. I had sibling groups. Um, I do remember a young uh, group of sibling boys that I was sent, and I, don't, I think I wasn't approved because I was a single parent, and they, uh, the, one of the two children had some severe issues. There was a, a question of brain damage and so on and so forth, so there was a lot of rejection early on. Um, it, it took well over a year for me to finally get the first kid that I was actually called in to what they call a staffing for. That is a meeting with the child's team. That means the caseworker, uh the supervisor, the um all the court workers, so the DJO and Guardian them and all these terms that you really have no idea what you're talking about. And anybody else that might be assort- assorted with that case. So it can be um, you know, I, I believe there were some psychiatrists or doctors in-, in-, in there too. It was it was a table full of people um and me and my licensing worker had to go to this staffing um and this is where they get to ask you questions about you, your household, your plans, your rules, how you deal with certain situations, your methods of discipline, um, and then they, you know, let you know a little bit about the child and their behaviors, and kind of ask questions like, "How might you deal with this particular behavior?" You know, if the child does this because it's something that he commonly does, um, you know, what would be your response? Um, and it, it was a. A bit nerve-wracking because basically if you want to put it in terms most people can understand it's like a job interview but for you to get a kid um and when i finally went through that one i you know wound up actually getting approved for that one and that's the child that um, everyone would know as my oldest child am not gonna give names for reasons, but my 13-year-old. And, you know, the thing to keep in mind with my 13-year-old is he is autistic. He has been in care since he was about four, four and a half, five, somewhere in, in, in there. Um, he is 13 now. Uh, when I got him and I was approved to, you know, start the process with him, he was 11. Um, and he's been through quite a bit. There, There's a lot of, of trauma in his history and he has challenges that aren't just limited to his autism. He's not, uh, you know, in the area of the spectrum where he's like nonverbal. No, he's, I guess on the higher end where he's very verbal, sometimes a little too verbal. Um, but that was the child that I was intending to adopt and I'm still working towards adopting. However, There were a lot of things that were not put in place to assist with him. There were things that he needed in order to succeed in a normal home uh, that were not provided. A lot of things were rushed to be fair. Even now, I still kind of feel that the worker he had at the time was really just ready to dump him wherever she could dump him because that's generally what she did wherever she could put him is where she put him regardless of whether it was the right fit for him or not and and that proceeded even with you know uh, the times that he had been in residential facilities it was obvious that things were not really set up for him to succeed because he had a worker who unlike some of the other workers I worked with after her didn't care you know she was not attentive she did not Look at him. and you know, like some of the other workers that I have dealt with view the kids that they have on their caseload as their kids. They call them their kids. And while they're clearly not able to take them in and and you know, care for them twenty four seven, they are proactive enough to know what's going on with this kid at all times. This particular worker was not situation didn't go so well. So eventually we reached a point where, he had to be removed from the home and sent back to a residential facility. And being that I was planning to adopt him, I was he was not a foster placement for me. That led to me switching from being strictly adoption to going with fostering. I found, I figured that it would be easier to get a kid as a foster child and, you know, be expecting them to leave after a certain period of time and then maybe they end up staying permanently versus intending for them to stay permanently and they only be with me for a short time okay so after my oldest my now 13 year old or at the time was 11 just before his 12th birthday um after he was removed and after I switched my licensing over to being, you know, just a foster parent, there's a difference, you know, when you're an adoptive parent, you know, the, your worker contacts you, however, to say, Hey, I have a kid that's, you know, fits your parameters and they they give you a little bit of background information. Would you like me to request the long profile? Let's break that down too. So when you first get that, call or that email, you get what's called a short profile. This is like a basic overview of the kid. Their first name, um, their age, their race, um, their sex, and like a couple of things that they like, and you might know how long they've been in care. But you don't get all the, the, the detailed information with the diagnosis. You have to say, okay, yeah, I'm interested. And then they send you the long prof- profile, which gives you More of the background, not the complete story, especially kids that have been in for a long period of time, you know, you have to wait until later down the road when you can view their whole file. But when you get the long profile, that's when you start, you know, getting the, okay, well, this kid is on the autism spectrum. This kid is diagnosed with Asperger, so on and so forth. Um, And then you make your decision, okay, yeah, I'm interested and let's submit my information over to see if they would consider me, right? So much longer process. When you are a foster parent, it's very short. Once you open yourself up to being a foster parent, you have your parameters set, which by the way, they very rarely actually listen to your parameters aside from which sex you're willing to take. So in my case, I only take in boys. Aside from that, I was really not supposed to be called for children over 12 years old, and I constantly get calls for teenagers But whatever. The moment you are a foster parent, you start getting calls. Now, Contrary to popular belief, those calls don't always come in the middle of the night unless you specifically allow yourself to be listed as an emergency placement. Those are the parents that get the phone calls 2 o'clock in the morning. This kid has just been removed from their home today. Can you take them in? Or this child was just born in the hospital today to a drug-addicted mother or whatever. Can you take him or her in? You have to specifically be willing to take those short notice- it's very difficult, especially if you work to take on those, because you can't really arrange childcare and all that. If the child, you know, is coming to you at two o'clock in the morning, two, three in the morning, and you have to be at work at seven, so something to kind of keep in mind. I was not originally one of those parents, um, but I was a regular foster parent. So generally, how that goes for me is. Whatever time of day, normally during regular business hours, I get a phone call from what I recognize as a state number. At this point, you know they the first three numbers are all the same. So in my case, anything eight seven seven after the area code, I already know that is a caseworker trying to call me and see if I have room for a placement. So they call you and they'll say, "Well, hello, we have a." For example, I have a 12-year-old black male child that I'm looking for placement for. And you get to ask a few questions. So you'll ask, you know, okay, well, how long do you need? Is this a temporary thing? Is this an indefinite thing? Um, What kind of diagnosis does this child have? What kind of medicine does, does the child take? That is especially important nowadays because... Only one of my children, the, out of the six that I've had, five or six that I've had, um, did not take any form of medication. All the others had medication, which I had to strictly monitor them on. Um so you get to ask a few of those questions, and then if you're okay with what answers they give you, then you say, okay, well, yeah, you can go ahead and and bring about when do you need to place them. Normally it's the same day, depending on your circumstance. In my case, I'm a single parent, so I need to know what school do they go to. If it's not in my district so they can't get on the bus, how are they getting to and from school? Because I do work a regular full-time job. And you know so they might have to wait a couple of days or uh, um, most of my kids were coming out of residential and needed to be placed, so they had like 48 hours. So that gave the uh, their workers time to arrange transportation to and from school or daycare or whatever. That's the general process for me. So it's generally short notice. Like very rarely do I get a call where I know like a week in advance they want to bring me a kid. Normally it's like, within the next couple of days they need to place this kid. Um, Lately it's been, I need to place him right now so that I don't have to sleep in the office because that's what tends to happen when um, they have too many kids that are in uh, the foster system at at a time and they have nowhere to place them. So they can't place them in residential because there's nothing to place them in residential for. Their behaviors don't warrant it or residentials don't have beds. Um, and there's not enough foster parents to take them. It, when they can't find someone to take those kids, they have to sleep in the office. Um, and that means the workers have to, you know, like switch off shifts or whatever overnight to stay with them. And I've gotten a number of those calls lately um, asking me to take in kids so they can't you know so they don't have to sleep in the office. And while my heart goes out to them, it depends on my situation at the time. But after my 13 year old, I had a my first foster placement was a 17 year old. Um there was a lot with that one. Um he's or actually he was sixteen at the time, he was getting ready to turn seventeen, so he's seventeen now. Um he was he had Asperger's. Um, he was recently brought into care, abuse, sign, whatever. Um, when he was brought to me, the issues that, that wound up popping up that eventually led to him transitioning from my home were basically around his behavior, his lackadaisical attitude, his unwillingness to follow directions and, uh, problems with weed and stealing, which honestly I've noticed a- get a little bit common with foster kids after him I took in a 15 year old and he is a rarity among foster children because he was the only one of my foster children who was not supposed to be a foster child he was not unlike all of my uh, my others he was not a product of neglect or abuse he was in care because his mom was just fed up with his behavior she couldn't control him she didn't know what else to do so she let the state take him You know, after he had been admitted for uh, or had been arrested, basically. And she needed help, and she wasn't able to get it any other way. He didn't have any of the the traumatic issues, the abuse issues. He was just hard-headed. And frankly, his mother waited way too late in his life to actually try to instill discipline. You can't wait until they're teenagers to finally start telling them no and expect them to accept that no. So... He's the only one of my kids, also, that was with me for the amount of time that I was originally told. Uh, so I was told he would be for me with me for maybe a month or two, no more than the two. So once we got to his court date, his mom regained her rights. He went home. Only child that I have that um, resolution for the one before him. Went back to residential, and um, the last I heard had been moved to another foster placement. But he had had a lot of problems in residential. Just um, you know, he's a kid with Asperger, so he gets made fun of, um, and he has some less than savory habits. And like I said, he had some behavioral issues when he was with me, which led me to not keep him here. But it was what it was. Um, so then from those two, we come to my next two children who were siblings. Um, I was originally asked to take an older sibling and a younger sibling. Um, I was originally asked to take a, let's see, at the time they were nine and seven. And then they decided, you know, while they were waiting on me to, 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 free up the room, um, they would actually only send me one, the seven-year-old, which I still have. He's now eight. And then um, because I was willing to take in two, they also sent me their youngest brother who was six. Um, and again, we have issues of abuse and like blah, blah, blah. We're not going to get into specifics, but just know there are some common issues there. Couldn't keep the six-year-old. That was the worker's decision. She felt that they needed to be separated because they didn't get along. I felt like with enough time, I could regulate that, but neither here nor there. So still have the seven, now eight-year-old. That brings us to current events. Now, to be fair, you know, there are a lot of different frustrations that I can have, you know, with the foster parenting thing you know there's a the usual actual just if you think about it, regular parent issues just you know dealing with the child's specific behaviors the times they act out so on and so forth I'm not gonna focus too much on that one aside from mentioning that all of my children have some sometimes extreme behaviors um, you know my 13 year old is, aut- uh, is autistic and has an anger issue so there are confrontations there when he doesn't get his way. And and there's the realization on my end that that's not necessarily a symptom of his autism. It is sometimes just, it's a, a regular temper tantrum, just a maturity issue. Just, I want what I want and I want it now. And I have that a little bit with the eight year old too. Temper tantrums, he does not have autism. He only has ADHD. Um, and we've had some behaviors and here's the deal. The other key difference with being an adoptive parent versus the foster parent for me. As an adoptive parent, I did not have to deal with my 13 year old's birth parents at all. I never have to deal with them. Their rights were terminated. They cannot get them back. They're nowhere in the picture. You know, I don't ever have to deal with them. The only thing I have to deal with is the trauma they leave behind by not being there. The trauma they leave behind from the actions they made before he came to care so on and so forth you know i have to deal with that but i don't have to deal with them specifically as a foster parent the hard part for me sometimes is dealing with the biological parents because if you look at it i'm stepping in to do with they couldn't didn't or you know wouldn't do so i'm raising their kid that was taken away from them and obviously a lot of parents have some resentment over that one you know, no matter the reasoning that the kids get taken, they didn't want the kids to get taken normally. Um, and in a case like this one where it's mom that lost custody of the children and dad comes in later and, you know, there's another man raising his, his kid, there tend to be some conflicts because You are biologically dead, but I am, I guess one could say philosophically dead. I'm the one, or practically, let's put it that way. I'm the practical one that's, you know, the everyday dad. I'm the one doing what you should be doing as far as, you know, Being with him every day, waking him up in the morning, getting him ready for school, taking him to daycare school, whatever, dealing with whatever problems come up when he's at school, such as, you know, the incidents of disrespecting teachers, um, fighting kids, getting suspended, or, you know, the normal or the the more desirable, I guess, stuff of just going, you know, dealing with their grades, helping with homework, parent-teacher conferences, you know, trying to direct him you know towards socially acceptable behaviors i'm doing what dad should be doing source of contention i'm doing what mom should be doing because i'm single so i'm doing you know what normally both parents would do i'm doing on my own and it's not really a gripe i chose to do this as some people might point out yes i know i did choose to do this and i chose to do a it single it's not the problem here the problem comes in when you have to deal with these people you have to deal with the trauma that comes from them not doing what they were supposed to do. You know, whatever abuse, whatever neglects, whatever habits they instilled in their child that were never healthy, that you're trying to undo and teach them a better way. All of that you have to deal with and then you have to deal with these actual people in addition to that. And then you have to deal with the courts deciding, okay, of course they, you know, the goal is reunification. It's always the goal when they're only a foster child, they're still, you know, plan to be reunified with family so then you have to deal with the visits sometimes those visits are supervised sometimes they have to be supervised by you sometimes they have to be supervised by the workers and then you get the unsupervised ones and no matter what it's a pain Uh, you know with those visits with the unsupervised ones and or the ones that you can supervise you have to decide do I want these parents to know where I actually live or do we need to meet somewhere in public Generally speaking, I always start off meeting in public because I don't know these people and I don't know how they're going to react to me. And then I have to carry, you know, paperwork that says that this child is in my custody just in case they get in public and want to cause a scene and say, oh, well, this person stole my baby. I can say, no, I didn't. I have custody of your baby. Haven't had to happen, but it's just something that the workers always warn you about because it can happen and I've seen it happen. Um, but dealing with that whole situation gets very frustrating and it gets even more frustrating when you have these parents who you know you've already lost custody of your kid and it's kind of your job to reestablish your relationship with your child you know it's not their fault that they're in care it's your fault whether it's you know due to the people that you brought around them or you know something you directly did either way you damaged this relationship it's your job to fix it so when you have to deal with them have to deal with broke a lot of broken promises in my experience or a lot of really bad excuses for either why they did what they did or why they can't take them in or whatever the, the the situation it's always frustrating Because as the adult in this situation, I probably know the actual answers to a lot of these things. So if the kid is wondering, well, why can't I go home? I know the answer to that. I know what happened. I know what is required from the court for the parent to do in order to regain them. And I know that they're not doing it. And then, you know, when it comes down to just, you know, the the broken promises and, and the missed visits that just makes things so much worse. And then we have my rarity. So my eight-year-old has unsupervised visits with his sperm donor. For the record, I'm going to refer to his parents as life giver and sperm donor. I will not call them mother and father because those are titles I feel they should earn. They haven't earned them. So sperm donor has unsupervised visits. Okay, fine, I have to comply with this. I'm, I'm willing to uh, comply with this because in my mind, at least he was trying. Well, that's what I thought when they started them. Herein lies the problem. A lot of broken promises, a lot of missed visits, a lot of phone calls telling him, oh, I'm going to come get you on such and such day, or I'm going to call... worker to make sure that i can come get you on such and such day or whatever and then it never happens the call to the worker was never placed there was no visit scheduled it wasn't cleared with me um then the you know the the absence for like two weeks three weeks four weeks then all of a sudden pops back up hey i want to do a visit okay i have a problem with this because i have a problem with inconsistency now, I'm going through this for a reason, because I'm going to eventually go into what happened at this court day that kind of set me off. And you get to see my frustration. So, inconsistency is a problem with the sperm donor. It's also a problem with the birth giver. Um, but, her visits have to be supervised. It's easier to mediate that, because I'm not the one that has supervised them. Her visits have to be supervised by the worker. And if she doesn't do what she's supposed to do, well, that's between her and the worker. I don't have to deal as much with that, though I do have to deal with some of the disappointment that comes from it. But then we go back to sperm donor, the one with the unsupervised visits, who I spoke with when those visits were authorized. And like, okay, you know, I'm willing to do the co-parenting thing, you know, from distance. You help me, I'll help you. You know, I'm already having behavioral problems with your kid. You know, I'm, I'm having some problems at home with him, you know, stealing. And I'm having some problems at school and with him fighting, yelling, cussing the teachers, all those types of things. General acting out behavior. But that behavior, especially at school, started when these visits started. And it took a little while for me to catch on to this pattern. But I did catch on to this pattern. Keep in mind, also, all of my children have to go to therapy. Like, all of them. If they're in foster care, they're in some form of therapy. Probably. If they're not, they should be. So, me and the therapist are are catching on to this pattern. After a visit with Dad, I have a very rough week at school. You know, that's when the kid is getting suspended. In-school suspension, out-of-school suspension. getting detentions, getting... You know, removed from class. I'm getting phone calls at work. I'm having to leave work to come up to the school to address the behavior in order to make it stop, so on and so forth. And it escalates after every single visit with sperm donor. Okay. So we reached a point uh, around about September where the worker's like, you know what? Um, The kids have been in care long enough. We're going to move towards, you know, terminating the parents' rights. They're not doing what the court is asking them to do in order to keep those rights, so we're going to move towards that. Would you be willing to take guardianship? Yeah, fine. He's already been here longer than he's supposed to be because when I got him, he's only supposed to be here for two months and then go to his aunt's house, and that didn't happen for reasons that I still don't understand. Didn't happen. I I know it was something on her part, not doing what she's supposed to do, but whatever. Um, So they asked me, you know, would you be willing to take guardianship? yes that's fine can we move this along comes to court dates the parents missed one in October both parents they didn't show their lawyers didn't show okay judge extends it to the next court hearing now at that court hearing my impression was the judge was done and wanted to terminate rights at the next hearing next hearing here comes sperm donor lying and this is where my problems continue to come in because every time he can or you ask him about something, he'll lie. He'll push blame off as much as is humanly possible. Oh, well, the worker didn't do what she was supposed to do. The worker has nothing to do with you keeping your promises. You know, if you promise to come get your child on a certain day, that's on you. You're already released by the court and allowed to do unsupervised visits. So it's on you to do the visits at that point. He likes to blame the worker. He likes to blame pretty much anybody but himself for why he didn't do what he what he was supposed to do. So, they went to court back in November. I wasn't at this. I did have to work. Didn't have time to take off. Didn't think I needed to be there because the foster parent doesn't always need to go to those court hearings. You know, it helps. We can submit you know a letter to the court to update on the child or whatever, but we don't actually have to be there normally. Um, in this case, I wish I had been, but I wasn't. So he made a big to-do. Now, mind you, I've mentioned there's been a lot of broken promises, a lot of missed visits. And now he made a lot of excuses, and he essentially just blamed the worker. Oh, well, the worker isn't letting me see my kids. Not entirely true. In fact, I was the one that stopped the visits because he kept breaking promises, and I was tired of having to go up to this child's school to regulate his behavior. So since I had noticed the pattern and I agreed, the therapist agreed, the worker agreed, it's stemming from visits that we were like, okay, we're going to stop them until we go to the court. So the judge basically sides with him and his lawyer and forces me to restart the visits. Fine, dandy, whatever. He has set days. He chooses those days. He said he wanted Tuesday and Thursday every week. Okay. After the court hearing, he stuck to the first Tuesday. Missed that Thursday. Come around next week, did both days. Following week, missed both days. There's a pattern here. As of this recording, he hasn't seen his son in three weeks. Going into week four, right? So... On Tuesday, I had a court hearing, and the worker asked me to come, because we're moving towards termination of rights, and I've got all the proof, you know, that sperm donor is not doing what he's supposed to do. I don't really have to collect proof on birth giver, because that's hers to collect, because she has to monitor those visits, but I monitor sperm donor's visits. Also, for those that are wondering, sperm donor was not really in his children's life, for yeah, he was in jail for part of it, but the other thing is, afterwards, he just hasn't done anything. Like, realistically, he should have been able to get his kids, but doesn't have the space, doesn't hasn't made an attempt to get the space to have them. Hasn't consistently, you know, been able to pass all the drug tests and so on and so forth. Whatever other requirements the judge had, because there's a long list of them, and I forgot what they were. But he wasn't doing them, so you know he can't take his kids. That's fine, is what it is. So, knowing this, and knowing that, you know, since I've met him and I met the sperm donor back in April at a court hearing, we changed numbers at that time because at the time he wasn't allowed to do unsupervised business, but he was allowed to have phone calls. Birthgiver is allowed to have phone calls, which he's gotten a little bit better about. That's fine. Phone calls are great phone calls were never consistent and then each of those phone calls he was promising things he really couldn't deliver like oh I'm going to come get you on this day and we're going to do this this and this and then that didn't that never happened and that became a pattern in addition to once the unsupervised visits were allowed pattern continues if you if he makes a promise and he breaks it I get a little bit of acting out the day after but on a visit I get acting out the entire week. Every bit of bad behavior. However, the weeks where I'm not having these visits, so the past three weeks have been peaceful. No major behavioral issues. Nothing other than normal kid annoyance stuff or you know, a little bit of back talk here and there. Stuff you know, stuff that's this normal for kids, whether they're yours or not. So I've noticed this pattern. I've documented this pattern. Therapist document is part. Now, we all had to submit stuff to the court for this hearing. So, I submitted stuff. I had the therapist submit a letter. The worker submitted stuff. My statements, you know, to her were submitted and basically said, Look, when the visits are inconsistent, they're constantly broken. There's never an explanation given for why. It's not like he calls and tells me or his son. Sorry, I can't do the visit today because I'm at work or my car broke down or whatever dumb reason he might have at the time. It's just no phone call until whenever the next visit is supposed to be. Documenting all this, I kept a log of the visits, so my log states such such dates, you know, he did the visit from this time to this time, such such date he missed a visit. And and so on and so forth down the list. This is documented. This is all for the the judge. And then I have the additional proof of his behavioral report from school. You know, like the the times he got written up. So I can coincide dates where there was a visit and then there was bad behavior. And as far as things that he might have done for his kid in case that question comes to mind. He's bought him two outfits and one pair of shoes i've had him since march of 2019 so in two months it'll be a full year that i've had him that's all he's managed to buy for him two outfits one pair of shoes that that's it so it's not like it he's you know trying to do stuff all the time for him he's not even trying to get him very often or not as often as he told the court So, now we come to the court date. I'm at the court. I've submitted all this stuff. We're at the court. Couple problems. So first off, the the area around the court, for those who aren't from where I'm from, is bougie. We have to pay to park. There is no free parking around this freaking courtroom, right? So you have to pay a meter. It's not like, you know, one of those garages where I can just pay $5 and I'm good for the whole day. No, that would be too much like right. There are nothing but meters surrounding this joint. However, normally the court goes a little bit longer. If you were scheduled in the morning, you, you tend to be there longer. But I've noticed from the court dates I've attended, if I go in the afternoon, it's normally like in and out, right? Not this time. I get there at 1.30, that was the time that we were supposed to be there. And, of course, you're not... They tell you, be there at But they have their own order for the docket or whatever. So, you're not really going to get in at one thirty Unless you're really lucky. you your docket this first. Whatever. Still, I bring enough change. This is right before payday. So, I bring enough change or whatever to last me a little under two hours. So this was all the silver that I, I had laying around. And I'm thinking... You know, I really shouldn't be here any longer than that. And then I can go on about my day. I was there for four hours. So from 1.30 till about 5.30 is when I ultimately left. Mind you, I have to go out and refee the meter, too. Like I, I had paid for it, and then I had to go pay for it, uh, you know, get more money and pay for it. And all of us were having to do this. We're having to go back out to the meter. It is taking an unusually long amount of time just for us to get into the actual courtroom. We have to sit outside of the courtroom and wait to be called. Mind you, the way this goes generally, is, at least in this courtroom, is when I get there, the deputy juvenile officer, the DJO, hands me paperwork. Nothing for me to fill out, but his recommendations that he's handed to the judge. Which has all of the information about the case, the children, the parents, the stuff that I've submitted, so on and so forth. And I get to look it over and be like, okay, all this is cool. And I had plenty of time to look this over. I could have read the thing about seven, eight times in the time that I was sitting outside in the waiting area, just waiting to get in the room. Now, at this point they have switched. Like I said, generally for foster children, the goal, you know, is always reunification with a parent and secondary, if they terminate rights, they'll go to guardianship or whatever. Okay. Well now they they flipped the goal. So the first goal now, number one goal is terminate rights, go for guardianship or adoption. Okay. I've been discussing this for months. That's what I'm prepared for. I've already answered questions about willing to do that. La, la, (sighs) la. Sperm donor comes up. And another sperm donor comes up to one of the other kids that are in this little group, but not with me. And, you know, they have some issues with what they see in there because, you know, they're being called out for not doing things that they're supposed to do. Heaven help you if somebody holds you accountable for your actions, but whatever. And sperm donors trying to, you know, be real nice to me and so on and so forth. And I'm not here to help him. I'm here to represent my kid you know the kid that he made biologically but the kid that I'm raising right so that's that's the whole point of me being here just the whole point of you know the worker asking me to come was so that I could explain to the judge in more detail exactly what I'm dealing with as far as when there are visits how infrequent the visits are the types of things he's you know the, the sperm donor is saying so on and so forth. That's what I'm here for. It's the only reason I took off work to go to this, right? So here's where my frustration comes in. We go into the courtroom. We do all the little introductions or whatever, and the judge goes over a lip packet of paperwork and the goals. There's a couple different problems with um, a lack of communication, apparently, between the lawyer for Children's Division and the actual Children's Division because Children's Division, the worker, are saying they are wanting to move forward with termination of rights the idiotic lawyer who was actually a fill-in lawyer for the actual lawyer that represents them decides to tell them no we're going to go for reunification but we literally just said beforehand like as in children's vision when they spoke first said they want termination of rights move towards guardianship or adoption okay so there's that problem fine dandy they can work that out later Here's my next problem. The judge is supposed to allow me as a foster parent to speak because I'm present in the courtroom. I did not get my chance to speak at all. So I didn't get to, you know, add on and fill in all this information, even though she has most of it anyway. I didn't get to speak for myself, for my kid, say what needed to be said. However, sperm donor gets his chance to speak. His lawyer lies for him, says, oh, he's been consistent with his visits. And this is a bold-faced lie, and I have the logs to prove it. Like, I have the phone records to prove it, too. I I can show where you haven't called me but twice in the past three weeks, and they weren't on the days that you were supposed to do visits, and you didn't do visits those days. But the lawyer lies. Says, oh, he's been consistent, and by the way, he was on parole. Uh, I mentioned he'd been in prison. So, oh, he's now off parole. And now he just really wants to take his kids and, 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 you know, spend more time with them and blah, 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 blah. blah. And, and I know this is a lie. The workers knows lie. The birth giver knows this is a lie because she's already dealt with him before. Instead of limiting the visits because as i pointed out after every visit behaviors just escalate borderline out of control you know especially when he's not in my line of sight the behaviors just go up they go out off the wall all of a sudden he says things that he didn't learn from me to adults you know he's constantly disrespectful to the adults now he wants to yell he wants to you know fight People that didn't even bother him. He wants to beat up small children, whatever. The problems escalate after every visit. And the judge, instead of limiting his visit or going back to supervised visits, gives him overnight unsupervised visits. And again, I didn't get to say anything in this court hearing I didn't get to make my opinions known. I didn't get to, you know, kind of counteract what he was saying. So I've sat in this in this place for hours, and nothing was accomplished that actually benefited my child. This leads to a bit of frustration for me because I'm like, okay, I'm the foster parent that has to deal with this child day in, day out, and has to deal with the consequences of what you just did. And here comes the frustration that I'm sure other foster parents can kind of share with me too. We have people that make decisions for these children that we've agreed to take in. And in my case, I look at as my own child, right? But they get to make these major life-changing type of decisions about visits and where they get to stay and so on and so forth. And they don't meet the child. If you're wondering who I'm talking about, this would be in this case. This would be the judge. She's never met any of the children. She's not met mine. She's not met any of his siblings. But also, they call the guardian ad litem and the DJO. They've never met these kids, ever. But they get to make major life-changing choices for them, as far as where they go, what they do, how long they get to be wherever they are. Yes, the 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 caseworker will take a statement from the kids on where you know they are, if they're happy, and so on and so forth. But still, you, you know, these judges and, and these court officials have no face to really put with the name. My kid to them is a name and a number, not really a person. But they got to make all these choices, and they're not, even though they're supposed to make choices for the benefit of the children, I'm noticing they tend to just make decisions. And it's not... These decisions, in this case, weren't really beneficial to my kid. They are detrimental. Now, I'm not going to harp on the whole termination of rights thing because I'm, I can go either way on that one. My problem is if I, as the primary... Caregiver for this child, the primary guardian of this child, am telling you, look, these visits are doing me, doing me and the child, more harm than good. They need to be cut back. And even if you didn't want to go back to supervised visits, I would have taken doing visits once a month on a set day. He has to do, you know, go a certain number of months. Actually. Doing these visits and maintaining some form of regular contact with a child in order for us to say, okay, well now we can do one every two weeks. Something to let him know, dude, you can't be this part-time father. Don't come trying to be daddy when you want to be. You're either full-time daddy, which is what I am, or you can continue to be the sperm donor, donor and go away. And then, you know, I know there's a question of pride, and then in in this person's case, there's a question of family intervening, saying, hey, you know, you made them, you need to, you know, do something about them. But you can also tell when they don't really want to, when they're only doing it because people are telling them they need to. So when your quote-unquote fiancé is like, hey, you have kids, you need to take care of them, which is a great thing for a fiancé to do and say – But on the other hand, if you're only doing it because your fiance told you to do it, should you really be doing it? These are questions that need to be asked. You know, at this point, it's just a question of, is it in the child's best interest for you to be around? The answer to me, having watched what happens, having wiped the tears away when you break promises, having had to change up my day Because you've broken those promises to do something to try to take this child's mind off it, I would say no. It it would actually benefit him more for you to go away. Now, if you want to maintain some form of contact just so that you can, you know, check in, know how he's doing. That makes sense to me. You did, you know, help create him. Sure, do that. But maybe you just need to do it from a distance and not interact with the kid. Maybe the courts need to understand that if the foster parent is telling you, no, look, I'm I'm having a hard time dealing with this kid after a visit, don't give him more visits. Don't give him more access. It's not helping. Because I don't know what's said during these visits because they're unsupervised. So I don't know if he's actually chastising him when I tell him the things that he's been misbehaving on or if he's just telling him, yeah, keep doing that. You don't have to listen to him. That's not your real dad and i mean biologically no i'm not his dad however i'm the dad that's doing what you can't do so it would be helpful if you know you were inspiring your child to listen and you know so after the court date after the court hearing i'm not happy because i got nothing out of this like i it's like i missed the whole day at work and just to sit in a courtroom and I could have gone gone to work and just let this be handled otherwise and nothing would have been different than what happened. It's very frustrating because basically what this judge told me by not allowing me my chance to speak and let my voice be heard was my voice doesn't matter. I'm here to advocate for this child. That's my my job. I'm the foster parent. I'm advocating for my kid, trying to make sure that we come to resolutions that are beneficial to him. And you didn't let me actually advocate for him. You spent the entirety of the time in the courtroom with an attitude because you let the other trials or whatever you were doing before me go long. So we're coming up on deadline because you need to be out of the courtroom before 5 o'clock. So you want to rush us out the door. Well, your time limits aren't my problem, and they aren't any of the rest of our problem because that's your fault you didn't manage your time wisely or you didn't manage your courtroom wisely. My kid should not get punished for a judge having a messed up day. Yet it happens. And then let's look at the termination of rights thing, too, because I know some people may be wondering, you know, what are the grounds for that? Basically, in Missouri now, the rule is if a child has been in foster care for 15 months and not been reunified, it is time to consider termination of rights. The caveat with that being if the judge feels like the parent is trying and they actually are showing some progress and they just need a little bit more time to meet these couple little requirements, okay, fine. And that makes sense. However, in that 15 months, you can't pass drug tests. You won't do psycho psychological evaluations. You won't go to the parenting classes or whatever other things were ordered, or the drug classes or, and, and whatever else the court might have ordered for you to prove yourself as a fit parent. That is when what they call TPR, terminating parental rights, is supposed to take place. Now, I know you're saying, well, you've only had this kid since March. That's not how long he's been in care. It's been two years now. So we're, we're, we're well past the 15-month point of, okay, time to start talking terminating rights. The problem that tends to come up that I've seen, I've heard about here in Missouri, is judges deciding to be a little bit too soft on the parents that aren't doing what they're supposed to do and too hard on the parents that are working to do what the court requires them to do. Now, yeah, you have to take these things on a case-by-case basis, but still, you know, if you've been here for 15 months and these parents couldn't even pass three drug tests in a row to get regular unsupervised visitation, which was the requirement she set for them. Three negative drug tests, you get unsupervised visits. None of them could pass these. For the entire first year, the kids were in care, and then at this point, only one has managed to pass If they can't even do that, if they can't call a phone number to, to schedule to go to a parenting class and call another number to schedule a psychological evaluation in two years, how do you expect them to be able to handle these children with their elevated needs? You know, the, the ADHD, my son has asthma as well, and it's quite a bad case of asthma, especially in the wintertime you know with ADHD they they're on meds still meds are controlled substances they have to go back to the doctor every 3 months in in his case every 3 months to be seen reevaluated evaluated make sure the meds are working and get more refills i can't just call the doctor and say hey call in this script for this no i actually have to take him in to be seen so every 3 months i know i got to go to this doctor And within that same time frame, I have to go to the asthma doctor. Then every week I have to go to therapy with this child. If if they can't keep up with making simple phone calls for themselves to do this one thing one time and this other thing for however many weeks they need to do to pass it, how can you reasonably expect them to take these kids and be able to do all the things that we foster parents are now doing for them. So termination of rights in this case will kind of make a little bit of sense. But without that, what doesn't make sense is continuing to force visits that, you know, A a, a psychologist, in addition to the foster parent, is saying, no, these these visits are detrimental. These visits are not helping. These visits are making things worse. These visits are making behaviors worse. Now you can kind of get a little bit of an idea of why I'm so frustrated with it. And I'm sure I'm not the only foster parent here that deals with this. Definitely not. I know other foster parents that have dealt with similar situations. It just gets really frustrating and is disheartening. And then, you know, the agencies complain because there's a shortage of foster parents. Well, have to be realistic. Some of us are foster parents and want to get out because we're so frustrated with how the system works and that we can't change it. And if we're in a situation where our voice isn't being heard, how does that really inspire us to want to continue? Okay, so I've gone a little long with this show, and I'm going to let it be long because there was just a lot of material to cover there. And it's about time to wrap it up, though. And this is just a glimpse into what I've been dealing with as a foster parent. You know, I, I didn't really go in as much detail as far as, you know, the behaviors that I actually deal with. I've, I've kind of told you what they were, but I didn't give any specific examples of the behaviors that I'm dealing with with the 8-year-old. And I could have a laundry list of them that I dealt with with the 13-year-old, the 17-year-old, and even the 15-year-old. And the 6-year-old, too. There's a lot that goes on. These kids have been through a lot, except for the 15-year-old. All of them have a traumatic past, and some of that past is known to me. Some of those things I continue to find out every day. So I want to point this out, too, you know, just so I don't come across like I'm only complaining. I actually love being a parent. You can put foster parent in front of it if you want, but basically at the end of the day, I'm a parent. I am parenting my children, and I enjoy that. I get rewards out of that that are not financial because, trust me, they don't pay nearly enough for you to you know live off of. They, they don't even pay enough to cover the grocery bill for these kids, if I'm being perfectly honest. My reward comes every time my 8-year-old walks up and randomly just hugs me, and he does it frequently all throughout the day, every day now. Whereas when I first got him, he's very shy, very reserved. Now, he's affectionate. He's happy. He flip-flops between calling me dad and calling me by my name. That is is what it is. And it's partially the confusion of dealing with his sperm donor. But either way, I'm the one that gets the affection. I do get... A reward out of this, I have watched him improve. I've watched him come out of his shell. I've watched his grades come up. I've watched him work to improve those grades, to improve in the areas that he knows he's not as good in as everybody else in his class. I've watched as he's learned to regulate himself so that when he has this little tantrum, which he's only had a couple of major ones, but he's learned how to self-regulate and work himself through it and and calm himself down. He's learned how to recognize when his asthma is bothering him and ask if if for some reason I haven't noticed it or haven't taken the time to do it, can he have a breathing treatment? You know, he's taken large steps um, from where he was when I got him. You know, he's improved in some ways and and he only tends to regress during the visits and I understand it I don't condone it I still you know discipline as appropriate I don't make excuses for any of my kids but I do get a reward out of being a foster parent and knowing that I've done something to help them along the path you know I got rewards from the teenagers you know the 15 year old was ecstatic when I Even though I was fairly harsh on him during the time period he was with me and had to you know, regulate in a way that he wasn't used to, he was very happy that he had time with me where he got to see a different life. Now, he he may have regressed back into some of his unsavory habits, but the time he was here, he was worried for the 17-year-old. Stopped by to say thank you because he understood after he left some of what I was trying to tell him. He still struggles and he kind of messed himself up in some ways, but he's trying to learn. The six-year-old, you know, when when I see him, when I come around for the kids to come together for visits, he's doing better. And he still is, you know, somewhat attached to me and gets excited to see me. And then there's my 13-year-old who has his ups and his downs based and he's, you know, stuck in a residential facility, but I can see steps were made where he does things that he didn't used to do in a positive way. Some in a negative way, those don't come from me. But I see improvement with my kids. So I enjoy what I do and I find some reward in it. And I enjoy just generally being a parent. There are just some frustrations that come along with being a foster parent that a traditional parent wouldn't be able to relate to because, you know, they don't have to go to court hearings and they can make choices for their kids on their own without anyone else's input. I don't always have that choice. You know, I can make some choices, but I can't make the choices on the visitation. I have to comply with court orders, unfortunately. So this was really just to kind of to share my frustration little bit and get that out of the way but just understand there there are good points to this too now normally i would do the you know question and answer thing at the end of this episode but it's already gone a little longer than i've done the first few episodes hopefully it's not too long hopefully everybody still enjoyed so i'm just gonna go ahead and wrap things up um N- not really sure what I'm going to do for the next show yet either. Just kind of depends on which way the wind blows or what other suggestions come up that I find fun. I've had a couple of suggestions that I'm not necessarily keen on the idea of. Not that I mind talking about the particular topics, but there's some s- subjects that I just uh, tend to avoid. So that being said still taking ideas for the next episode what else might you like for me to talk about feel free to you know send those to me use facebook uh, twitter or the website dracosden.com with that being said i'm going to go ahead and wrap this up here i will see you all on the next show